It is a joy to be a child of God. It is a joy to know that even through that filth and that muck, He still loved us. He welcomed us in and He cleansed us off. What a joy to know that our God loves unconditionally His people. The title today is The Joys of Restoration. The Joys of Restoration. Last night we looked at ruin and restoration. And we looked at the parable of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. We saw the seven steps of a downward decline into ruin. Where he was filled with self-will, selfishness. Where he separated himself from his father, from his family, from all that he knew. Where he lived a life of sensuality, lust and pleasure. Found himself in a place of just spiritual destitution. Went to the lowest state of self-degradation. And found himself spiritually starved. But praise God, there is a step and a pathway back up to restoration with our Father. And this man came to a realization of who he was, a filthy sinner with a loving Father. And he resolved himself to arise and go back. And he repented, acknowledging he is a sinner. And he returned. In his filthy state, in that long walk of shame, he returned only to see a loving father running towards him to reconcile him, to bring him, to make him his own again. My son was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. And his father renewed his relationship with him and he placed on him that robe of righteousness He placed on him that ring showing that he is an heir of the kingdom of heaven. And he still loved him by caring for him with the shoes on his feet. And there was great rejoicing. And that's where our story picks back up. The joys of restoration. If we just think back to before our eyes were opened. And we remember that state that we were in, and that moment or that period of time where you realized who you were and you're brought to this low state, but then you come overwhelmed with a joy that you cannot contain, knowing that you are loved by a great Father. I tell you, there is joy In the kingdom of heaven here on earth. There is joy in being an ambassador of the kingdom of the almighty God. There is joy in knowing that you are his. Oh yes, we will have tribulations. Yes, we will have trials. Some of us our whole life. And yet there is joy in knowing that you are safely in the hand of God almighty. Joy in Him. And our text today is going to be from Romans chapter 5, the first 
first 11 verses. We're going to jump around to some different passages, but this will be our base. What I want you to see is I didn't even count them here, but we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I think seven. Seven things that we will see in these passages of the joy that we have in restoration in Jesus Christ. So let's read those passages of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet pure adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. But not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Luke gave us, through the words of Jesus, a word picture of this restoration and bringing about joy. Paul follows a similar description in this passage to show us the beautiful joys and the benefits we have in the restoration of being with Jesus Christ. And our first one that we see is in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. Oh, brothers and sisters, I tell you, I needed the peace of Jesus Christ. There have been storms. There have been battles. I have felt that I am drowning under the waves. I have felt that those piercing darts of Satan are getting me from every end. But to know that I have peace. Peace. Calmness. Assurance in the protection and shelter of Jesus Christ is something that I still cannot comprehend. That He would give that to me. Peace means that we were once at war with God. Oh, God, forgive just the thought that we would war with the very God. Of heaven and earth. The creator of all things. The giver and the sustainer. And the taker of life. And yet we would be at war. With him. Shame on humanity. Shame on humanity. For thinking. That we could turn our backs. On a mighty God. But that's exactly what we all have done. 
Since Adam, mankind has been at war with a loving, righteous, merciful, but wrathful and just God. In our fleshly hearts, before God grabbed hold of us, we hated him. It was not just a dislike. It wasn't just a disregard for God. It is a hate for God. It is a hate for the things of God. And that's what the prodigal son went through that we heard of last night. He hated the father. He wanted nothing to do with the father. He wanted to get as far away from him as he could. He wished he was dead. He wanted his inheritance now. He hated him. That was you and I without Jesus Christ. Not just a disregard, but a passionate hate for God. Therefore, we were at war with him until we were awakened as that prodigal son to see our desperate state. But there was not always war. At one time, there was beautiful peace. God created Adam and Eve to live in peace with him. God walked with Adam in the garden. He would come in the cool of the day and walk with Adam. And they communed with one another. But Adam, like us, turned from God because God was not good enough for him. God did not satisfy him. He wanted something more. And when he turned his back on God, there was such a divide, such a span, such a gulf that Adam could not come back and cross that gulf and rejoin in that communion with God. And that was you and I. The Grand Canyon is big, but it is nothing compared to that span that we made in our war against a righteous and holy God. Romans 8, 7 says that the fleshly mind is at enmity with God, meaning our fleshly minds without God want to be His enemy because we hate Him. But now, but now through Jesus Christ, we have been restored and we have peace. With God. It was Jesus Christ who brought about this peace. Not you and I. Not me deciding one day that you know what? I think I need to make amends. It is Jesus Christ who woken me. And opened my eyes and showed me I was in the midst of a pigsty. He woke me up. And he said come to me. And when I came running he wrapped his arms around me. And he restored me. And he gave me peace. In Him. Peace in Him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Christ is our peace. For He Himself is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation or partition. When Jesus Christ was on that cross, as Brother Brady told us this morning, When he willingly went to that cross to bring peace to those who hated him. There was a span between us and God. There was a curtain in the temple 
Because the people could not see God. The people could not commune with God. And in that temple, the priests would go on behalf of the people to present sacrifices to commune with God on behalf of the people. But there was still war. Because the sacrifices had to be made over and over and over and over and over. There would be no end to that blood sacrifice until there was a perfect sacrifice that could appease the nostrils of our Savior. And when Jesus Christ gave Himself for our peace, God was satisfied and He tore apart that curtain that separated you from God. Now there is no divide. You yourself have access to the Holy of Holies, to the very throne room of God. You don't need a priest to go upon your behalf to appease God on your behalf. You yourself go to God. You yourself have communion with Him again. And when we fall on our knees and we worship God in prayer, we are communing with a God of peace. Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 says, And by Him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Oh, that we could come before God without reproach. Yes, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can. That son, the prodigal son came back to his father covered in filth and his father covered him in righteousness. Robes. When we are at war with God, there is a constant state of fear. A constant looking over your shoulder, waiting for the next battle. Those of you that have been in combat of any sort in the military or law enforcement, you know this feeling. Where you're just waiting for that next gunshot, that next bomb to drop. You're always on edge. And quite frankly, you're always scared. Though you try not to show it, you're scared. Now can you imagine, with our eyes open, to who you were apart from God. Envision that. That you are at war with God. Just as that prodigal wanted to get as far away as he could from the Father because the Father was His enemy until He realized the goodness of His Father. Now imagine yourself in the midst of a war and there's only one place of safety, that one bomb shelter that is nuclear proof, any kind of bomb proof, everything proof. There is one shelter that is a place of protection that nothing can penetrate And that is the very place that you are running from. The bombs are falling around you. The fiery darts of Satan are coming towards you. And you run away 
from the shelter. Because it confines you. Because it's not what you wanted. Because it's not the freedom that you desire. That you're your own man. I can take this battle on my own. And the further you get from that shelter, the more you feel the threat of death and condemnation upon you. And you look for somewhere safe to hide. And you find that there is nowhere, nowhere but the shelter of God Almighty. There is no place that you can go that the darts of Satan cannot penetrate except for the shelter of God. But when you run into that shelter, no fiery darts of Satan, no schemes of man, no powers of the darkness of this world can grab hold of you. Yes, you may hear the bombs raining down upon the shelter. Because Satan's attacks don't stop because you're in the shelter of God Almighty. In fact, he tries to get you harder. You hear the bombs all around you. You hear the gunshots. You hear the screams of those outside. But you have peace. Because you know that no scheme of man and no power of darkness, no schemes of Satan can penetrate the safety Of God Almighty. And in that place there is a peace beyond description. When you've been in combat. Or in gunfights or in war. And when you finally realize that you are safe. There is this rushing feeling. Peace. Safety. And only God can give that permanently. Because out in the world, you will go into battle after battle after battle. But in the shelter of God Almighty, you are safe. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need peace. I needed peace through my stormy life. There are times when those storms rage. There will be times when you get pierced by a dart of Satan. There's going to be times where you feel trouble and vulnerable. But when you run back to that shelter, to that bomb-proof shelter that nothing can get through, you feel the seas calm. You hear those rushing waves beginning to get smooth. And you know that in the presence of God, you are at peace. Because the war is over between you and God. You are no longer His enemy. He is now your protection. He is your protection. That's the first result of our justification is that this war is over. We are made new in Him by being reconciled to Him. In Romans chapter 5, 10 and 11. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received atonement. He has brought us in. 
and has made us his own. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. In order for you to have peace with God, your chastisement was laid upon him. He took the shame and suffering so that you could now have peace with him. In verse 2 of Romans chapter 5, we now see that after we have that peace, With God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. Oh man, access to God? Completely unthinkable to the Hebrew people of the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was at the mountain? And all the people came to the foot of the mountain and God spoke to them? There was such a fear and trembling that they went to Moses and said, we don't ever want to hear that again because it was so fearful. And from then on, God visited Moses in the temple and the people stood in their doorways of their tents and heard the rumblings, but they were too afraid to have access to God because he was too great, too holy, too powerful, unthinkable that they could now have access. That's why the curtain was there. But you, you and I, sinners, can go to God. But now there is a full access to all believe, who believe in His name. So what is your response? Go boldly before the throne of God. Both Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 10 tell us to go boldly to the throne room of God. Yes, we go with a trembling of fearful reverence before Him. But we go boldly because we are not going through our own strength. We're not going through our own power, our own might, or our own deeds. Romans just told us we go through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because He has given you access. He has clothed you in His righteousness. So go boldly because God has accepted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And He has laid that righteousness on you. So you can go boldly. To the throne of God of heaven. If you aren't at peace, how scary would it be to try to approach that throne? You would be as the Hebrew people of old. That is too fearful for me. I cannot go. What if you tried to go in your own deeds? What if you tried to go by your own works? Oh, I would turn and run. Turn and run. Because there is condemnation and judgment at the throne of God. When you are not in His righteous robes. Eternal condemnation. But when you are robed in righteousness. You can go boldly before that throne. Because you are at peace with the God of that throne. You are His. Oh, we will all go before a throne of God one day. Some with fear and trembling at the coming judgment. Some with a trembling joy. But one day every knee will bow at that throne. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But know now that you have access to Jesus Christ the Lord. Because He has given you His righteousness. So go boldly before that throne. 
you now stand in a permanent position by God's grace, never his enemy again, but now his child. What father would not protect their child with their very life as Jesus Christ did for you and I? Ephesians chapter 2, 18 through 19 says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father, Christ our cornerstone. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. He has purchased you and He will hold you. He has brought you into His kingdom and He will never cast you out. Yes, we still have the struggles We still have the battles, but you will always have access to the throne of God because you are at peace with Him. Then in verse 2 again, we see that we have access, Romans chapter 5, by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There is joy in restoration. There is joy in being in Christ. Verse 11, and for not only, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. Joy in what? Joy in being restored to God through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Our joy is being in Him, our joy is being with Him. The prodigal son's joy was not to have money again. The prodigal son's joy was not to have just a roof over his head or food to eat. His joy was his father. The older son's joy was never in his father. But the younger son saw what he was missing. He was missing his father. The prodigal missed his father. We have joy in simply knowing him. Experiencing him. First Peter chapter one, verse eight says, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with a joy inexpressible, unspeakable and full of glory. You can't even describe the joy that you have in Jesus Christ. We have the joy and the promise or hope of God's eternal glory. I don't hope in streets of gold. I don't hope in a pearly gate or whatever else amazing, mind-blowing things I'm going to see in heaven. Yes, it will be neat to see if a lion is laying down with a lamb. It would be kind of neat to see if I could actually walk on a cloud. There's going to be all kind of stuff that's going to be neat. But none of that is where your joy will be in heaven. Your joy will be in being with Him no matter what else is there. I hate to say it, but I don't like the song, Precious Memories. I'm going home to see my mother. I'm going home to see my father. Those are great. You want to see those people. But in Revelation chapter 4, when John is transcended in spirit, he is taken to the throne room of God. And that depiction is amazing. There's an emerald rainbow. There's lightnings and thunderings coming out from the throne. The floor is, is, is amazing and the throne is standing in the middle. There are 24 elders around. There's the, the beast flying around. But none of that is what captivates John. 
His first thought when he is transported into that throne room is the throne and the one who is seated upon the throne. All of his attention is taken to the throne. The elders are around the throne. They're casting their crowns to the throne. They're bowing before the throne. The cherubims are flying around the throne. They are singing to the throne. Everything is for the throne and the one who sits upon it. That is our joy. We're going to worship before that throne. That, that's all the joy that we could handle. We're over, we would be overflowing with joy. I can't handle more joy than just being at that throne. I can't explain it good enough. I can't describe it good enough. In this human mind. The unspeakable joy that we will have in being in that throne. But know that there is joy in restoration. There is joy in being restored. Even through the storms, find joy in Him. In your focus upon God Almighty. Isaiah 61.10 says that we have joy in our being cleansed and clothed in garments of righteousness by Him. 1 Peter 1.8 again says there is a joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. There's a few more verses there I want us to look at. Because the next thing that we're going to see in this joy of restoration... Is verse 3. So we've just talked about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And we say not only so. But we glory in tribulations. Now that can't be right. We just talked about this amazing joy. And this amazing restoration. This joy unspeakable in 1 Peter chapter 1. But look at verse 6. Wherein we greatly rejoice. Though now for season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. And whom though now we see him not yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But you just told me I'm going to go through these trials. And yet I'm going to have this joy unspeakable and full of glory. These are those trials of life that just seem to squeeze all the hope and joy out of you. Think of an olive press or a grape press. To get that olive juice, to get that grape juice, there is pressure Pressure that squeezes those things to a pulp. And you're telling me, preacher, I need to have joy in being squished in this life. You're telling me now I need to have joy in tribulation? That I need to have joy in fires? That I need to have joy in the troubles of this life? Not, not This isn't just the normal... Happenings of life that we all go through. There are trials. There are tribulations. This is a suffering that he's speaking of that comes through standing firm as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Once you have returned to Him and you're clothed in that righteousness, that prodigal son may have had to experience the rejection, the constant degrading of the older brother who hated him. That's what we saw last night with the tax collectors and the sinners. The Pharisees hated them. That's what we see in all of Acts through the church. The way was constantly persecuted. And what do we see them do through all of that persecution? They have joy in their persecution. These are the troubles from the world, the powers of evil and the enemies of God aimed at you because you are in Him. They're not aimed at you because of you. Jesus tells His apostles that you will receive tribulation. They're going to hate you. But remember, it's because they hated me first. And that you are mine. And that is why they hate you. I tell you, if the world does not hate you, you may be doing something wrong. If the world willingly accepts your lifestyle in the way that it is, you may not be clothed in those robes of righteousness. You may have started slipping down a few steps again. Going back to that far country. But then God puts us through the refiner's fire if He speaks of this gold. No, gold when you find it in the mountains is not this beautiful piece of gold jewelry that you find. It's an ugly rock. It's dirty. It's lumpy. And in order to get that beautiful jewelry that you're wearing, whatever piece of gold it is, that gold has to go through an extremely hot fire to separate the dross, the filth, the dirt, the other minerals out from the gold. And this process doesn't just happen once. It goes over and over and over through the refiner's fire until that gold comes out pure. Brothers and sisters, you may experience that refiner's fire your entire life. But know that you will come out purer than the purest gold when you reach the glories of heaven. When you reach that throne room of God, you will be pure because you're clothed in the righteousness of God. But you may experience that refiner's fire through your whole life. So don't think, God, what have I done wrong that you would bring this trouble upon me? What did I do that I deserved such punishment? Oh, we deserve much, much more. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, He has saved us from the worst punishment. God, I don't like these trials. But I'm going to glorify in what you are working through me in this trial. God, through this trial, you're pulling my love away from the world and to you. He's making us more like Christ. Making us more like Christ. Being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, as Romans chapter 8 tells us. That is what these trials are for us. So we are rejoicing in these trials that we are being made like Christ. That we are being brought closer to Him. What He is doing to us and for us through that trial. Oh, the trials are scary. The trials are fearsome. Sometimes I think they're going to be the end of me. And sometimes I think, God, have you forsaken me? This trial is more than I can handle. But then we go back to Romans chapter 8, verses 35 on that we mentioned last night. That nothing... Nothing will take you from the love of Jesus Christ. 
Not, not famine. Not peril. Not sword. Nakedness or even death. The worst that could happen. Not even death will take me from the love of Jesus Christ. Those are the trials of life. And yet I have peace. I have peace in the sword. Peace in the famine. Peace and death. Because I know that I have access to the throne of God. And in that I find my joy. 1 Peter chapter 4 says in verse 12. That we, beloved, think it not strange concerning fiery trials. Which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened. Don't think that you're something special or that something has gone wrong or that it's odd that you're going through a trial you're a christian you should expect trials in life but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy the apostles are perfect examples of this in romans chapter 5 they're imprisoned They're beaten and they're told not to preach again. And they walk out rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for Christ. And then in Romans chapter 16, Paul and Silas were imprisoned. They'd been beaten. Their backs were torn. And they sang praises. And they sang praises of joy to God that they would suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't think it's strange that you go through the refiner's fire. Find joy that you are worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Back to our text of Romans chapter 5 in verse 4. Verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in the tribulations, knowing that your tribulation worketh. Oh, there's that word, patience. Patience. Whew. Do we really need to focus on on that one? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 says that you do. It says that you need it and after you have patiently endured, then you will receive His promises. Brothers, we have to be patient. Sisters, we have to be patient in this walk of life. That's the one thing we're always saying. Don't pray for patience because if you pray for it, God's going to give you something to teach you patience. But if you're not sure after reading chapter 10 of Hebrews, if you're still unsure about this whole patience thing, that's why it's followed up with Hebrews chapter 11. This great hall of faith showing all that have gone on before us, patiently running that race in this life in the hope of God's promises. And now they are surrounding you and cheering you on. Saying, brothers and sisters, run with patience this race that is set before you. Because at the end, there is a prize that is so joyful that we can't even describe it. Being able to persevere in the midst of tremendous pressure. That's the squeezing of the grapes and squeezing of the olives. Persevering without failing, without turning away. Because we have that hope in God. That's why we have the patience. Because I have hope. Because I believe a promise that God has given me. I believe that the completing work of 
patience in James chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that that's all we need is to have hope in the promises of Jesus Christ. Patience is hard. I'm not telling you that these steps are easy. They're hard. They're challenging. But God is greater than your trials. God is greater than your worst fear. God is greater than your worst storm. And through Him, you can have patience through your trials. And then to verse 4 again. And patience brings about experience. Experience means an approved and tried character. Through these trials, we are now able to have an approved and tried character. Through these trials, we learn endurance. It's through them that we're developing a godly character. It's through those trials that we're being brought closer to Christ. James chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that blessed is the one who endures those temptations. This is the proof or testing of our faith. We are either full of impurities, either full of impurities and dross, or we are refined and proven to be pure. So don't fear your trials, but rather we should think that God is refining us through those trials and realize that that experience of those trials is what draws us closer to Him and builds a godly character in us. And when you look at your trials through that lens, even then you find joy in your trials. And then in verse 5, or verse 4, patience, experience, and experience Hope and hope maketh not ashamed. Hope. This isn't some wish of uncertainty. This hope is sure. This is something that has been promised but not yet realized. And you have a full assurance. This isn't a wringing of your hands. Saying I hope that God comes through as we would with our earthly father. He promised I hope he actually does it. Rest in full assurance. That God has promised and God will fulfill. That is our hope. That one day, one day you will rejoice and worship Him in that throne. Because God Almighty has accepted that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice has brought you into that family. And one day you will worship eternally with Him. With no more trials, no more storms. But just hope in the promises and the glory of Jesus Christ being fulfilled. We are resting upon the promises of God. Resting on the promises of God, my Savior. We realize this hope when we see ourselves made whole in Jesus Christ. Oh, that prodigal son didn't see any hope at the bottom of those steps. But as each step he climbed, he felt more and more hope. But he didn't realize that full hope until the father lovingly embraced him and kissed his filthy face and robed him in robes of righteousness. And he felt that hope come to fruition that my father has taken me back. We are saved from his wrath because he has made us whole. 
because we now hope in eternity. I don't dread heaven. I welcome death. My wife says I welcome it a little too often with some of the things that I do. But I welcome death. Yes, there will be a throne of judgment. But I will stand in that throne room resting on the promises of God my Savior because when I stand before that throne room and those lists of sins are read out and Satan points the finger and says, look what he did. Look at his filth. And Jesus Christ says, not so, Satan. He is mine. I have clothed him in my righteousness. Look at the ring upon his finger. He is mine and I welcome him into glory, into my home. Praise God I have hope in that. David says that his fainting or longing for the salvation of God and that his hope is in the salvation through God's word in Psalm 119.81. God has said it, therefore I believe it. God has said it, therefore David hoped in it. David had trial after trial after trial. Battle after battle, temptation after temptation. And all of his hope was in the promises of what God had told him. We believe in the promises of God through hope. Romans chapter 15, 4 tells us that we can even find our hope in death. Proverbs 14, 32 says, The righteous has hope in death. The grave is not a conqueror. We are looking for that blessed hope of the appearing of Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 13 tells us, Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your victory? You have none. Because Jesus Christ has conquered you. He has conquered the grave and He has conquered death. So I tell you, lay hold of, grasp firm to that anchor of hope that you hear of in Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The joys of restoration brings the love of God. When there is peace, when we are in his shelter, when we are in his presence, we then experience his love. The prodigal son, while he was still walking that path, hadn't yet felt the experience of love. But when those arms were wrapped around his filthy state... When his face was kissed, there is love. God's love generously poured out towards us. Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is a love which cannot be surpassed. When we were running from that shelter, while we hated and mocked him, he poured out his love on us. I think of who I was. I think of who I was outside of that shelter. And yet he saw a filthy, hateful Titus Cannon running away from him. And he said, I will die for him. Love unsurpassing. 
Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have been made heirs, that robe placed upon us, that ring placed on our finger and our feet have been shod with His love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, verse 1 says, Look, look at what an amazing love has been bestowed on us by the Father, that we should be heirs. What an amazing love! Because God is rich in mercy and made us alive when we were dead. That prodigal son only found true safety and freedom under the protection of his father. And then he found all the joys of restoration. There is joy in being subject to our master. There is joy in being under the shelter of the Almighty. The prodigal sought joy outside of his father only to find death, destruction, and pain. And when he came back, he found a joy unspeakable. Therefore, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, therefore, therefore what? So look in the first two verses, two verses before that. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, If we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Believe in God. Run to that shelter and find the true joys of restoration. Restoration. 